Welcome to the Review Name Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. Uh, today on the show, we're going to start a, try a new thing we're calling Slow News Week, which we'll get to in a moment. And we're going to talk about television, discussing Hannibal and the newest episode of Community. So stick with us throughout the hour. With me on the show tonight, I have Rachel. Hello. I have Chris. Yo. And I have Sam. Hello. And Jordan, if you're going to do the stick with us throughout the hour, you have to do it Ira Glass style and just say, stay with us. Okay, first of all, I am by no means Ira Glass. Second of all, I really enjoy that I say tonight on the show, even though A, we are not recording this at night, and B, you can listen to this whenever you would like, listeners. Jordan, stop pulling back the curtain. No so one wants Ira, to see what's behind it. Ira Glass only says that because it's NPR and most of his listeners will die over the course of the hour. Yeah, he's literally begging them to stay alive for the next 59 minutes. Stay with us. Come on. Please stay with us. We're going to be they... performing CPR as he speaks. <laughs> you know, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be advantageous for someone to die while listening to the radio because they just leave the radio on? Yeah. Like, and they never change the channel. Like that. <laughs> and then nobody ever finds them. <laughs> because they listen to NPR and that's we're alone. I say, even though I listen to This American Life, not every week, but every week that I'm not in law school. <laughs> Well, I, I, it just stood out to me because you never say, like, stick around or stay with us or, you know, listen to the podcast. I didn't think he needed to until some, last episode. I, yeah, I say some form of stay Because <laughs> I'm begging anyone who's pressed play to not press pause when we're doing stupid shit like this for, like, five minutes. <laughs> like, week, please keep so listening. Talk about nothing you. For stay with us. Um. So anyway... Because it was a slow news week, we're debuting a new feature on the podcast called Slow News Week, in which basically we're going to go around, talk to each of our uh, panelists on the show this evening about what they're doing in pop culture uh, at the moment. So, Rachel, because we've already heard from you a little bit before we started the show, why don't we start with you? What's up in your pop culture world right now? So, because I'm sad, um, just like really sad oh, all sad. the time. It's <laughs> uh, taking a dark turn already. <laughs> uh, no. Well, you know, as as many listeners probably know, I work in Washington, and you know, it, it does Everybody bad things that. to your soul. It does bad things to your soul sometimes. So I like to save my soul a little bit by watching West Wing, just like all the time. Um, so I'm watching it again. I've restarted the first season again, which is probably like the sixth or seventh time I've done the whole thing all the way through. Which is just disturbing, really. Um, and it's kind it's of a serious problem, and we need to have prevention. <laughs> it's kind of sad, too, considering, you know, like we were just saying pre-podcast, Netflix has just thrown on all of this new content, and yet I just keep going back to West Wing, and it just keeps making me sadder and sadder that I don't work in the Bartlett White House. Can I, can I ask a question, a serious question about the West Wing now and watching it now? Yes. Um, <laughs> Is it like, I feel like it's a show that gets kind of sadder, just like the way our politics are now. Because like that show was kind of built on like people disagreeing with each other. But then at the end, they're just like, yeah, we, we eventually like talked to some Republican and he was like, yeah, you're right. And then they get something done. It's actually funny that you, you asked that, Sam, because it does get sadder. And it was something that I just realized today because I'm back watching the first season and they make a comment about taking out the trash day, which is definitely still a thing, right? But Josh was t- like explaining to Donna what take out- taking out the trash day is and it's how you dump all of your crappy stories on a Friday afternoon 
so that nobody has the chance to write about them because nobody reads the paper on Saturday. And I just thought, like, he's talking about this in terms of column inches, and that's so not even a thing anymore. Yeah. Which I just thought was hilarious. But yeah, in terms yeah, of. Yeah, like, print media is dead. Hilarious. <laughs> I work in media. I know this. Um, <laughs> print media, though. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's dead, Rachel. It's dead. Uh, That's why we're we talking to each other on a podcast right now. <laughs> I hope we didn't shock any of our listeners. Yeah. Like, we have, like, half the NPR audience then tunes into us, <laughs> and me screaming dead killed, like, several of them. How many people know that's how you kill old people? You shout dead at them. <laughs> you shout <laughs> dead at them really loudly, and they just keel over. That's terrible. That's well, ter- terribly uh, effective. <laughs> So basically, Rachel, you're just watching The West Wing for the umpteenth time right now. Nothing else, nothing new music-wise, nothing new movie-wise. Okay, I actually have something shameful to share. Feel free. So This is a safe space. I was going to say. Get all out here. No one's listening, so. Nobody is. Literally, nobody's listening. Um, I'm listening. uh, Neither, yeah, I was going to say, not even any of us are listening, Rachel, so go ahead. This is Frazier Crit. I'm listening. Um. So because work has been so busy, when I'm that busy, I need music that, like, is just dumb and I don't have to think about it. So you need Chris so, music. Basically. But Thanks, what Jordan. I have what I have been listening to ever since driving home for Easter with two boys who like country music is what I'm calling the Jilted Girlfriend Playlist. And it is just a full playlist of music and songs from... No Wait, it's got songs on it? <laughs> From female country artists, basically, talking about their awful current or ex-boyfriends. I really wish I had asked you about what you were listening to right now. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I don't look so bad now, do I, Jordan? Do I? It's kind of like a black hole, Rachel. Like, I'm watching The West Wing for the 35th time. I'm listening to sad country music. It's I assume not you're actually sad. in a tub full of gin right now. I, I, I figured it was too early to hit the whiskey, right? That's... I mean, this is not a happy hour podcast. Next week, we will have a happy hour podcast, and then you can hit whatever you'd like for as long as you'd like. (laughs) I like to at least pretend that some of you were sober during our non-happy hour podcasts. Um, All right, well, let's move on from Rachel, because I don't want (laughs) to break down in tears on the podcast. Um, Nobody wants to talk about my country music? What what do you like about country music so far, now that you're becoming an aficionado? I kind of love, and I talked about this with a friend, I love how just completely genre-focused all country music is, right? Like, there are mul- there are a couple of gen- genres that, like, really, really trade on their tropes. And the ones that I think of are, like, the musical, horror films, and country music. Okay. It's like every single country music song is, like, either a sad boy... Talking about his pickup truck, his dog, or his girlfriend, or drinking. Sometimes they're all the same. (laughs) (laughs) He rides his dog girlfriend around, guys. Yeah. Or, like, somebody talking about America or the jilted girlfriend. Okay. And is that... Would you kind of equate it to... Um like musical comfort food in a sense that it's like, it's very much, you can, you know what you're going to get from it. And therefore it's very kind of 
reassuring to know that it's going to be the same thing or what i help me help me help me <laughs> help me understand like the problem. <laughs> chris is literally crying for help right now <laughs> this is what happens when we didn't move on rachel um so no, I... let me ask while you're thinking about chris's question which i think is going to be harder to answer yeah. um, <laughs> it's it's a little broad um what era country music are you listening to mostly? Because while uh, I, you know, I it's on hiatus currently. I have been writing a feature about country music for the most of the year so far, um, so I know a little here and there, though really not much. Um, I'm so like predominantly on current pop country. Yeah, uh, you you wish Sarah was on the podcast with us today because she's a huge fan of all that. I I, I tend to like. I've been watching Nashville. I really think that's what it is. It's my it's my current love for Nashville. Really, then we wish Sarah and Annie were on the podcast because Sarah's a huge country fan and Annie covers Nashville over on the website. So it's a shame. On the website, that's still a thing. Oh, you're so sweet. So really, we have the entire wrong like panel for this show. Is what <laughs> well, only say. because Rachel wants to talk about country music. <laughs> like that's that was not on the schedule. Way to go, Rachel. Yeah, I'm, way to ruin everything, Rachel. I'm uh, surprising you guys. So you want to say anything else about country music before I desperately move us on? Uh, please, God, nope. no. That's all. Jordan, what are you doing this week? Well, I was going to move to Chris, but okay, we can talk about me. Um, it's all I about love Jordan, isn't about it? Because I'm so self-centered. Um, so as I was telling you guys right before the podcast, uh, one of my favorite film writers, uh, and Sam, I believe one of yours as well, and perhaps Chris and Rachel as well, um, Scott Tobias just left the, the AV Club yesterday, um, finishing off uh, his landmark feature, The New Colt Cannon, uh, that he's been writing for five years now. So I've spent the last couple hours this morning while I've been procrastinating, uh, not doing work, making a list of all of the New Colt Cannon movies that I have not seen so that I can start to go through that, which led me to make a list of all the Roger Ebert great movies that I have not seen so I can then also start to make my way through that. Um, so in terms of movies, like I've been working on that. I uh, I introduced the the brief idea earlier in the week over on the website, which is me being able to write about uh, shorter, more discursive film criticism about whatever I'm watching as opposed to reviews of newly released movies. Um, last night I watched The Big Gun Down, which was a Lee Van Cleef spaghetti western that was pretty good. Um, TV-wise, we're going to talk about a lot of the TV that I've been watching uh, later in the show. And we've talked about a lot of the other TV that I've been watching in previous installments fairly recently. So I think we can discuss that. Though I'll say I am making my way through Veronica Mars for the first time right now. Oh, that's exciting news. And uh, music-wise, because I just put my music feature on hiatus, I'm trying to catch up with uh, 2013 and things that I have not heard and and, uh, get a feel for that. So that's a a quick overview of what I'm doing pop culture-wise. Yeah, so there's that. Cool. Um, Jordan, how far into Veronica Mars are you right now? I'm about halfway through season one. I just watched the uh, episode that Rachel wrote about for our Christmas special, Knuckles Family Christmas. Um, oh, nice. So nice. that's exactly how far I am into it. I actually um, have been meaning to start rewatching it my, again myself because I think I've said many times it is a very favorite show of mine. Uh, I, I But the excitement around the Kickstarter campaign has made other people really interested into, in it also. So my dvds are currently making the rounds of my friends who haven't seen it yet fair enough uh yeah i gotta i gotta say like i might as well bring it up too because it's gonna be my pop culture thing is i'm also watching veronica mars um, excellent excellent and it's and it's really be, i mean 
it was definitely on my list to to watch for a long time. But I think the the immediacy that's come with the uh, the movie coming out has kind of pushed me into watching it, and I'm glad it did. And I think and I think there are probably going to be a lot more new fans of the show because of this. Yeah. Sim- I- Simply because the, the the Kickstarter thing was like such a big news story and such an interesting thing that I think all fans of television kind of took notice and said, "Oh, the show that people really loved and not, and didn't get a lot of, you know, didn't have maybe a huge following, it has this second life." So that's a good thing. And you know, people who generally have kind of similar tastes in movies or television rather, they kind of go for Veronica Mars. I mean. I think it definitely plays to an audience that kind of likes Buffy the Vampire Slayer and kind of good, good serialized uh, television. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, Veronica Mars has been on my to-do list for a long time. It's one of those I always say, like, I have I have a set number of shows at any given time. And it's like I know I'll like it when I get around to it. So I'm saving it for a rainy day. And it's been a rainy day show for a while of mine. And then the Kickstarter campaign is also when we go, all right, fine. Like, now's the time. There's going to be a movie soon. I need to be up on this. So I, too, was converted by Kickstarter. Uh, not really converted so much as I finally decided, like, I'm going to stop having this one on hold and bring it to the forefront. And I like it so far. I, uh, you know, I'm not done with season one yet, but I'm enjoying it. Good. Yeah, halfway through season two, I'm curious. I'm interested to see where where everybody's going to end up, which is, I guess, kind of what you want in a, in a television show. <laughs> I, I actually care about it, uh, pretty much everybody. Yeah, I, Except I, for I Duncan think at this point, <laughs> I so agree with you. Aww, poor um, Duncan. Well, we can I, I maybe we should have a I would love to talk about this more with you guys once you're caught up. and yeah. you finish. I think we're going to do a Veronica Mars podcast by the time we catch up, because you're a big fan. Sam and I will have just watched it, so. Look It'll forward at some right. point. Uh, I am about to go through finals, and so it probably won't be for a little while. But some point this summer, I imagine, I will have finished Veronica Mars, and then we can sit down and have ourselves a Veronica Mars podcast. Fair enough. Rachel, you can come too, because you've seen the show before. I know, because you wrote about it for the website a while ago. I very much, I very much enjoy the show, yes. All right. so then. We'll... And I'm hoping to rewatch it before the movie comes out too. Well, you should get on that, and then we'll all talk about it. Um, for now, uh, Sam, did you have anything else you want to talk about before we move to Chris? Uh, because I guess I stole your thunder a bit and I apologize. Nope. Um, as far as television I'm watching, I think we're going to get to the other very interesting thing that we're all watching. Yes, we are. We're giving a segment to it in a, in a few minutes. So, um, movies, seen any movies lately? Uh, I saw Room 237, which was ah, fantastic. We can talk about that briefly because we were talking about that a little bit before the podcast last week. Um, yeah, we made I sure to not record any of it. Yeah, I know. We had like just, Sam and I actually had like a great like probably 20 minute conversation about Room <laughs> 237, and then we're like, we should have just done a podcast segment on this. I'm not gonna lie, like you guys were saying great stuff, but I haven't seen it. So halfway through, I just got up and got myself a cup of coffee, and I came back, and you guys were still talking about it. <laughs> Didn't even know I was gone. Sometimes, we, sometimes we basically record a podcast before we actually record the podcast because we're yeah. just like talking about pop culture. That's why we do this, I guess. <laughs> um, but yes, you liked the movie, uh, as I recall from our conversation, Sam. Yeah, I really liked the movie. It was really interesting. Basically, uh, for people who don't know, it's um, it's almost like a video essay. It's pretty. It's entirely composed of clips from The Shining and other movies with a uh, voiceover from nine different people who have, I guess you can call them fan theories. I mean, some of them, so, I mean, I think some of the people we were talking about are 
film professors. Um, and some are artists and some are just random people folks. who watch The Shining a lot. Yeah. And they all have different theories about the meaning of the movie. And it's interesting to see kind of the range of of what people think this movie is about. And it ranges from the semi-plausible to very plausible to this is Stanley Kubrick admitting that he faked the moon landing, which is. Uh, yeah, that one is the is the outlier in terms of plausibility, though. All of them, I think, stretch credulity at some point. Like I didn't. Uh, sure. But, you know, you know what? I think what's what's interesting about the movie is that they they're making the case. You know, it's yeah. the case they make rather than whether it's true or not. And I think even the moon landing guy, like each one of them uh, at some point said something that at least made me think about the movie in a different way. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes people who I completely disagreed with, I think, brought up points that were absolutely valid. Even some, the moon landing guy. And sometimes they brought up points that like they didn't say exactly what it made me think, but it made me realize something about the movie that I'd never realized before. And that, too, is exactly. very valid. Um, yeah, so I would say if you're if you like The Shining, even if you don't like The Shining, if you like film criticism or talking about movies, Room 237 is is really pretty great. Um, no, I think it must be said. I think you kind of have to see The Shining first. You yeah, can't. if you haven't seen The Shining, you should probably not see it because it is like the movie is made up of clips of The Shining and it's people talking like really in depth about like what certain scenes mean to the to the movie as a whole. And if you don't if you don't know like just the like the point by point action of what happens in the movie, you're going to, you're going to be lost. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen the shining, what, probably seven or eight times at this point, And I love the movie. Uh, and so like room 237, even if it hadn't been as good as it was, I probably would have enjoyed just hearing people talk about the shining for an hour and a half. But, um, it's quite good. If you like the shining, if you like film criticism, it's definitely worth your time. Just, just to sit around, sit down and think about a movie for a while, which is kind of the point I think. So that's that's it for me. I have, there haven't been many great movies, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, 42 in theaters, and uh, that new Ryan Gosling one. We yeah. also want to see. Uh, was it Pines. Place Beyond the Pines? That's yeah. actually at the the like one screen theater uh, that I have in town that I can walk to, and I'm like, I am seeing that movie now. Yes. So, it's it's finally happening. The uh, the 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 shit seal of early year movies is being broken finally. Yes. I think. I think some, uh, I think we're 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 past the worst part of the year for movies now. April usually gives us a few things that it that it's worth caring about, and then once we get to the summer, it's like at least blockbusters, if not anything else. It's, well, I mean, like once you get us. to May, they're almost pushing summer movies on you. Basically. Oh yeah, I mean, well May third, you have Iron Man three, so like right, which is really I guess maybe the unofficial start to it. Yeah, usually whatever Marvel movie they're doing is like the first May movie, and then it's like okay. <laughs> This is happening now. Summer is open. <laughs> um, Nothing says summer quite like Iron Man. So I think we'll uh, we'll probably talk about movies more on the on the podcast now that we're out of the doldrums because I think most of the things that I've seen in the last few months it's like wow I I don't ever want to talk about that movie again. Um, but for now, Room Two Thirty Seven, cool. Let's move on to Chris. What's going on in your pop culture world? Um. I actually just finished rewatching, uh, well, watching for the first time Boss, which kind of made me, it was kind of caused by like Rachel recently rewatching West Wing and getting on kind of a political kick with TV for a while. So I went from West Wing right into House of Cards, and then I started watching Boss, um, the I think it was recently canceled. Uh, was it Stars? 
Was everyone both? Yeah, stars. Yes. Yeah, the star show with Kelsey Grammer, where he's the uh, mayor of Chicago. Um, I I had a lot of mixed feelings about it going through because I really like Kelsey Grammer a lot, and I think he gave a great performance in the show. But the show itself, I I ultimately really didn't like that much. It was, um, I liked the the more local view of politics. I liked the idea that it was just more focused on the city and how local politics are can be just so much more cutthroat and very contested than politics on national scale. And I, but it, the the storylines were just all very very ridiculous and. I, I I don't really like this current trend in political dramas towards this really, really dark negative view of politics and how politics works. Because, I mean, no one really likes the political system. No one really has a good view of politicians. But I think most people kind of accept that most things politically don't get done by murdering people who disagree with you, which seems to be like something I'm but seeing. That's, that's in... kind of where we are politically though, as a country. Like, I don't think we're in a, we're not like, we're not in the Clinton era anymore. Like Aaron Sorkin was able to go like, Oh, like he was, he was kind of like riding off of those fumes. And now well, yeah. we've just had kind of ugliness. Ugliness. Yes. But I'm talking about actual murder. Well, like I mean, I, I mean, it's not it's not like a literal response, but I feel like it's kind of. a. Yeah, I, 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 I have to agree. I feel like a lot of the political shows we're dealing with right now are sort of a response to everyone's perceived cynicism at the moment of the way the political system works and the way the people in it sort of serve themselves over the country. Whereas the, the whole point of the West Wing is like, look at all these people are giving up to help their country. Like it's a very smiley, happy well, I think there's I think there's a difference between cynicism and, and murder. taking a show that's very grounded in reality and making it ultimately stre- just stretching the suspension of disbelief so far by you, you just have to realize that people that under this much of a microscope probably aren't going to be able to get away with something like murder as frequently as it seemed to occur in Boss or um, I guess it didn't really happen. I don't really want to spoil other shows that. I think are very popular right now, but um, I, I just found boss to be very, very over the top at times. Um, it didn't seem to know kind of what show on to be a lot of the times, like everything that all, all the scenes where Kelsey Grammer was just kind of on his own or allowed to just kind of like chew a scene for a little while really worked out. But then you had other scenes where um, it, it seemed like they were going for a lot of shock value in terms of just like, oh, my God, look at like what these people are willing to do to get their agendas done. And it it just really went very, very over the top at times in a way that was not enjoyable and just kind of made me groan audibly it, more than a few times. It's funny that you say that about Boss. I have not seen Boss, yeah. but that was a lot of my problem with House of Cards. What did you think of House of Cards on that kind of same? I, 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 I actually seen it, so don't spoil I liked House of Cards. Uh, I I can definitely see those kinds of comparisons, but like Boss is that element of House of Cards on steroids. Oh, okay. So I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen Boss. Uh, I have seen House of Cards, but a lot of what you're saying did not bother me. Like I had other problems with House of Cards, which I think was good but never great. Um, but it wasn't the cynicism wasn't the problem I had with it. Yeah, I don't really have an issue with cynicism. I like I, I guess I'm just articulating this wrong. No, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's an important distinction, like the, between cynicism and just this complete kind of like hatred and disgust of politicians that is coming out in in some shows, um, and kind of making them into this evil character. I mean, it's assume like I again haven't seen Boss, but like Chicago is a notoriously ugly political scene. Um, but even House of Cards, yeah, this kind of like grubbing. It's it's like Hollywood for ugly people is what people say about DC, right? So yeah, um, yeah. No, I I think it's it's bad. It's sad. Um, it doesn't help. I think with how people think about actual real life politicians, and I don't think that actual real life politicians are necessarily helping themselves out too much. But it's kind of it is a it's an interesting trend. I feel like there's been an upward trend in shows that talk about politics and that handle politics. Um, and they do that very differently, but I think it's um, a lot of them do have a very negative perception of DC and political life. Yeah, and I think there, I think there is definitely a reason for that. I think what you, we were all just saying about the previous election cycles and how much vitriol came out of that—that that this is definitely a response to that. I guess I just feel that some of these shows take the ball and run just a little bit too far with it in that um, some of the elite, but some, some of the uh, plot lines in boss just really stretched um, the bounds of, of believability in a show that started off at, at times wanted to be very grounded at times wanted to really take a look and show you what like a hyper local political dynamic looked like. Um, or just like what urban politics and would operate like and how different agendas would compete against each other and then had characters doing things that you really wondered how people in that position of power could get away with. Um, it, it, it's, it just didn't really ever come together <coughs> well as a show that had a consistent sort of, um, I don't want to say tone, but... Um, Oh, what am I trying to say? It, it, it never, it, its identity was always kind of murky to me. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, well, interesting. If you, uh, if you as a listener, have enjoyed our slow news week idea of just sort of doing a, a bit of a pop culture roundtable on what we're up to, let us know through the usual means. Um, and if we hear that you all hated it, we won't do it again. Uh, and if we hear nothing, then screw you guys. We'll just do whatever we want. Um, for now, though, why don't we move on and talk about a brand new show, which aired its second episode last Thursday, and uh, I think all of us have been really enjoying and definitely think it's worth talking about, uh, Hannibal, uh, Brian Fuller's adaptation of Thomas Harris's character and the era in which Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham were working together catching serial killers. Um, so, Rachel, why don't we start with you on Hannibal? What are you thinking about the show? I actually really like it. Um, and I, I'm glad that you started with me because I feel like once y'all get started, I'm not going to have much to say because I will admit I have not seen all of the films in the Silence of the Lambs arc. In fact, I've never seen all of the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, you keep telling me that and I keep being upset about it. So. I know, it's very upsetting. Um, 
Because it was a little too much for me. I don't really do scary, <coughs> although I do watch a strangely large amount of shows about serial killers, so that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, but... you should be watching The Silence <laughs> of the Lambs if you're watching The Following, Rachel. Come on. Like, uh... I, would, I wouldn't say that you need to see any other Hannibal Lecter movie, but The Silence of the Lambs is awesome. Well, I, I and I have been driven to check it out since Hannibal was a really surprisingly good pilot for me, and the second... Um, episode doesn't disappoint either. I'm not going to lie. I started watching it because I really enjoy Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen. Um, and it was just, it was really well done. Like it was a really just artful pilot followed up by another artful episode in this, in the second episode, but in a way that pulled back from that element enough to like really set the pilot up as a really great pilot. Um, I think the performances are fantastic. Um, and obviously, like, you know enough, like, I even I know enough about the universe of the show to, like, be picking some things up, right? So there's a really fun kind of disturbing tension that exists that the show really pulls off quite well. So I'm having a lot of fun with it, even though well, I don't I, really know anything about it. I think the show's very inclusionary. I don't think it, it requires a knowledge of the, you know, the, like the red, red dragon or whatever. Um, you know, I think, I think most people have like a basic pop culture understanding of like who Hannibal Lecter is, even if, you know, even if they haven't seen, um, any, any of those movies that he was in or read any of the books. Um, but I think like, you know, Rachel, you obviously knew like who Hannibal Lecter was, even if you hadn't seen, uh, Silence of the Lambs mm -hmm. and you kind of like you know you kind of know his deal like he's a genius who you know kind of works with the police detectives and he's also a uh, a cannibal so I mean you know I don't think I don't think there was a huge jump there wasn't a huge uh, learning curve for people who were jumping on the show um, I, I agree with Ray I I really loved <laughs> the show early on because one it's it's kind of it's like beautiful but it's also insanely violent and and i'm not just saying like oh it's violent just to be violent but you know one it's impressive what they're doing on a network show on a network show the amount of violence and the amount of blood that they're showing here and i think it's significant because you know it's it you i mean i'm not sure if it's really gratuitous but if you're doing a show about serial killers and you want it to be truly menacing and to have a sort of effect that you would get from silence of the lambs or one of those other movies it kind of has to be out there gory and they're making it kind of fucked up and interesting um what they're going with and i think it all does this while actually remaining artful which i really appreciate and so far all of the performances have been outstanding <clears throat> I mean, not just Hugh Dancy's great, who has a really interesting lead character, and he plays really well off uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who is amazing, who I don't believe can exist outside of this show as a human being. Um, and Lawrence Fishburne is used really well, too. Um, Mads I've Mikkelsen, only... whose next gig will be Kung Fu Panda 3. I well, I wish I didn't know that Kung Fu Panda Three was going to be a thing. <laughs> I can only imagine he's going to play the stoic serial killer in the next. Uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, he'll be. It's in Kung Fu Panda Three. They fight Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Um, but I I really love this show, and I hope people 
you know, give it a chance and watch it because it's not just, it's not a, it's not like a normal procedural. They're kind of doing like murder of the week, the first two weeks, but obviously, obviously, uh, Hannibal Lecter's, uh, you know, tendency to eat people might come up at some point. I have a feeling, but, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's in no way like what, uh, what I, people might expect not having seen the show. Like it's a, not a serial killer procedural really, even though yes, it is kind of a serial killer procedural, but it's also really not like trading in the Hannibal Lecter mythos all that much of yet. He like, he's there and you like what you know about him colors the character, but it's not really like he's a supporting character on the show. Right. Um, so it's really, yeah, it's nothing what, like what people, including myself expected hearing this was going to be a show. I don't think. And it's fantastic. And I hope people watch. And from what I heard, um, the good news about the second week of the show is that the viewership didn't completely drop off the map. I don't think it went up, but I think it just stayed the same, which I guess is good for NBC. Yeah, I was going to say, it's on NBC. If the viewership like stays decent, it'll be okay. And what better way to cleanse your palate from all of that difficult-to-watch NBC Thursday comedy than a lighthearted serial killer drama <laughs> that has people staked on uh, antlers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, were, was anyone else surprised by the violence in this show? It is incredibly graphic and you know, something I'd expect to see on, uh, like, FX or I, HBO. I would be surprised by the violence if my parents and Rachel, I think you watched this, so you'll have to comment, hadn't been talking so much about The Following lately, which is another serial killer show that started recently with Kevin Bacon on Fox. And I hear that is, like, way, way, way more violent than anything. The Following is so much more violent. Um, really? really graphic well the the thing about the and, really the it's more graphic than the, the people who have mushrooms growing out of their their it's bodies it's a different kind of violence it's a more viscerally violent in in that it's people stabbing people like you see it on screen you hear it you feel it it's it's gross um i was actually going to make that comment after you talked about the antlers and the the violence is that like it's kind of this really intellectual violence, right? Like the people with the mushrooms, we think the Lord don't see how they got there, but we see them there, right? That was uh. terrifying. Also terrifying, and this was com this was not a violent moment, but the moment when Will is um, at the shooting range and the corpse starts coming at him. Yeah, well, that that's something the show does really well. Uh, was also the kind of, really terrifying. The dream sequences, yeah. yeah. Well, getting inside of his head, it's it's been represented very well so far. And it and also, it, it allows them to, like, really play. I mean, it allows them to have really interesting uh, dream sequences and have him recreate the crimes himself. And it kind of, it not only clues us into his thought process, but it also shows us what type of person he is and that he can imagine himself committing all of these crimes. And why he's so good is that he can imagine himself carrying these things out yeah he's overly empathetic right and that's part of what made the mushroom thing even more terrifying is and and the episodes just all together is this very delicate line between what's what will is imagining and what's happening like was i the only one who when the mushroom corpse emerged um thought that he was dreaming it um, or did everybody think right away oh my god the guy's totally alive I, I thought it was probably a dream. I was surprised that they were being kept alive. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think that I, I immediately thought, like, I just assumed, wow, like, this is a twist for the episode. Like, one of the victims is alive. But 
I, I completely agree with your point that the show had done such a good job of establishing sort of Will's headspace and the unreality of the things he's experiencing that it's not necessarily clear whether that happens or not. But, you know, right off the bat, you're like, wait, like, where am I? What's going on? Is this in his head? And I think that's one of the things I love about the show is is how well it gets us in his headspace. But to comment on the comparison between the following, I've only seen one episode of the following while I was at home a few weeks ago. Uh, and I, I've seen both episodes of Hannibal so far. But I think the difference to me is that this show seems much more uh, interested in the effects of violence than the violence for itself. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think this this is a show about like the psychological toll of having the job that Will has of like being in the heads of these serial killers and in tracking down these these monsters and having to see the horrible things that they they do. And in that way, it's it's way more unsettling to me than the more visceral type of violence on the following. Like the things that I've seen on Hannibal and the things that I imagine I will continue to see because I will be watching the show going forward are going to stick with me a lot more and I think going to disturb me at a deeper level than than the sort of things that I saw in the, the brief snippet of the following that I've seen. No, I definitely agree. I think that Hannibal is much scarier than um, the following. The following has a lot more just like obvious on-screen violence um, and is very, very graphic in that sense. But it's also kind of the conceit of the show, right? Is violence for violence's sake. Um, and that's, that's where it becomes less scary to me, right? It's like, I love B-level, like, sci-fi horror movies that have, like, gigantic crocodiles, but I can't handle psychological thrillers like Silence of the Lambs. So that's what makes it a little more scary for me. Yeah, and I mean, I think Hannibal is definitely more of a psychological thriller than a B-level horror. Um, Chris, we haven't heard from you yet. What are you thinking about the show? Uh, I actually haven't really watched Hannibal yet. It's on my Ugh. list, but I, yeah, sorry. Well, uh, no wonder you've been so silent. Um, it I is... did watch the following for a while, but what I, do you I think stopped. about the following then, I guess. Well, uh, I wasn't crazy about it. Um, I I liked Kevin Bacon's performance in it. I liked. Um, I, I definitely thought it was interesting in a sense that it was, uh, it was a fun to watch as sort of like a very plot driven kind of thriller. Uh, there were a lot of elements in there that, uh, worked for me, but there were more so that didn't. So eventually something had to give in my already bloated schedule of shows I want to watch. So I kind of had to let it go after a while. Uh, but Hannibal, I, I really liked what I did see of the first episode. I wish I hadn't seen the last 20 minutes as opposed to the first 20 minutes, but I'm really <laughs> planning to catch up because uh, you guys have all said really, really great things about it. I, and think, I think it's easily my favorite network drama pilot of the year. Uh, yeah. The you entire television bit. season, like from back in September. It was also such a strong pilot, like just as a pilot, like the show is shaping up already in these two weeks that we've seen. It, it's looking like it's going to be a really solid show. The pilot itself as a standalone piece, because like Jordan, I know you spend a lot of time thinking about pilots and like the mm -hmm. difficulties and delicacies of a pilot. And I think that the pilot was really good in that it established the characters really well. It really laid out what the show was going to be about but also didn't alienate and wasn't too heavy on exposition. Like I thought it was a really well, beautifully done pilot. Well, and one also, of the things the important thing about the important thing about the pilot is it also established what the show's going to look like for the series. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I don't think you can underestimate that. I mean, it said this is a show that's going to deal in dreams and it's going to deal in his headspace and it's going to be 
it's it's it it's going to be this certain point of view that we're going to get for the series and well you know come along for the ride it's going to be kind of spacey and dreamy and you, and you it's funny that you say look because the thing i was going to say one of the things that i've liked the most over this season of television in terms of network drama pilots is they haven't yet and hannibal may be the exception and that might maybe why it's fav- it's my favorite they haven't yet fully adopted a lot of the things I love about cable television where like the most quality TV of the last 10 years has for the most part been. But this season I've seen a lot of shows, even like lower quality shows like elementary really start to adapt the cinematic look of the cable shows and Hannibal, especially it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful show to watch. It's, I mean, not just the way that it shoots the horrible crime scenes, but like the way that it shoots Hannibal cooking the food and the way that it shoots even the conversations between them. It's a very beautiful cinematic show um, in a way that, you know, shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad have been doing for several years. But that is fairly new to network television, I think. Yeah. And the other the other piece in terms of how TV is kind of appropriating and network television specifically is appropriating the cinematic effect is this jump of people you associate with film to TV roles. And I think that Hannibal is a really good representation of that. Hugh Dancy, Mads Mikkelsen, Lawrence Fishburne, all people you associate with movies now on television. You have Kevin Bacon from The Following, who, mind you, hasn't had like a huge film career um, yeah, but he's in a movie recent guy. years. But he's a movie star. I like to star. say a Titanic movie career. <laughs> Even, like, Claire Danes coming to Homeland, which is funny because, obviously, like, Claire Danes and Hugh Dancing are married, and I texted Jordan while watching Hannibal that he was playing Will Graham as the Carrie Matheson of serial killer investigators. As um, I pointed out, no, Carrie Matheson is the <laughs> Graham of terrorist hunters because Will Graham has been a character for a lot longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you just, there are a lot of actors who are coming to TV and doing relatively interesting things uh, on television, I think. Well, and another thing about Hannibal that if uh, they're not really promoting this, and I understand why they're not promoting it based on his history, but it's a Brian Fuller show. Um, And I think that's like a, that that I think that attracts people to the material because Brian Fuller makes great television. He, he's made dead like me. Uh, He was behind pushing daisies. Um, He was going to be, he did that made for TV movie version of uh, the, the monsters. Right. Which was going to be a, that was going to be a show until NBC was like, never mind. Um, basically, he makes a lot of good TV that not a lot of people watch. Wonderfalls, that's another one. Um, not, great TV that not a lot of people watch. Um, and I fear that Hannibal may go the same way because this is this is a show that I think will, if it stays at the quality it's been these first two weeks, will be among, if not the greatest network drama uh, on television well, you, right now. You know, See, I think the difference with Hannibal, though, is it's um... – it has, I think, more of a built-in fan base, and not just in terms of the Hannibal Lecter crowd. I'm talking about in terms of the serial killer uh, crowd. Yeah, detective ser- serial killer shows. Right. Like, I mean, this is like at its core, it's a it's a serial killer procedural, which is like a, a genre of, tele- of television that is generally very successful. So, I mean, Gee. I think he has he has a better shot at that. Um, granted, it's no guarantee, especially because it's on NBC, and especially because it's on the night that it's on. Um, apparently at 10 o'clock it's got a bunch of competition from maybe worse shows, but definitely more popular shows. I'd like to see it get a second season, uh, and I think I, – I say this a lot when we talk about NBC, but I think the status of NBC right now is like if it's doing even okay, it'll probably be back in the fall, which I would really like because this is a show that I think, given time, will do some really interesting things. It's, it's kept Parks and Rec alive way longer than it would have lasted on any other channel. 
yeah the community i mean community as well community. like yeah i don't know how community is still on the air no <laughs> it's like it's frankly it's shocking that community is still on the air uh chris you were gonna ask a question i forgot <laughs> great fantastic um all right so basically i think I love Hannibal so far, um, and I think you guys both have very positive feelings toward it as well. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else we want to say before we wrap up and move on into, into community? Everybody go watch Hannibal, please. And if you have a Nielsen box, say that's the only thing you watch. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> go watch Hannibal. Even if you don't like scary things like Rachel, if you don't like serial killer stuff, I get that. I understand. This is a great show. Um, it's the sort of show that, as a fan of television, you would want on TV, whether you're watching it or not. So, go check it out. Let's not have it be canceled horribly early, like so many other Brian Fuller shows that I've loved. Uh, with that, let's move into a show that I think everyone else is having much more positive feelings about than me. Um, and it, that's funny, because I'm the one that's writing about it for the website. But let's talk about community, and specifically, let's talk about... Intro to Felt Surrogacy, the puppet episode that aired. Well, this. when we talk about when you talk about much more positive feelings, I think what we're talking about specifically this episode. Rather, I I don't know I don't know how I'd, I don't know how I'd characterize my feeling on the entire season so far, but I definitely like this most recent puppet episode of Community. Okay, so so maybe more mixed feelings on the season as a whole, but you're a big yeah. fan of this one. Yes, I would agree. With that. I especially liked it for its introdu- introduction of serial killers to Greendale. <laughs> I feel like killers have been always around. Yeah, I feel like like half the student body at Greendale are serial killers. Yeah. They're just really, really bad at it because they go to Greendale. Oh, Greendale. <laughs> Still one of my favorite fictional places on television. All right, so Jordan, let, why don't we get the premise of the episode out of the way, and then you can tell us why you were not such a fan of this episode. Sure. So the premise the premise of the episode is fairly straightforward. We we enter the study room. The gang uh, are not talking to each other. The dean comes along and suggests that they will get an emotional breakthrough through puppet therapy. The rest of the episode is largely done as a Muppet-style puppet adventure in which we follow the gang on a balloon ride that goes awry. Sarah Barry Ellis is there. Jason Alexander is there as a, a man in the woods feeding them psychotropic berries. Um, oh, can, can I just ask, did anyone else think that when Jason Alexander was sauntering out of the woods, it looked exactly like Dan Harmon? <laughs> I didn't think that, but I did a double that. take when I saw him. Like, Jason I, Alexander has been preserved well. He has not, if anything, he has de-aged since the 90s. It's almost as if they have some sort of surgeries to make your face not change. Yes. <laughs> Only his, he's spending money on the right ones because his... I will agree that he does look better uh, than he looked on Seinfeld, like, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, but yes, part of that is is surgery-related, probably. Uh, but yeah, like you say, it's working. I'll, I'll agree with that. Anyway, so there's a psychotropic adventure. Everyone shares their deepest, darkest secrets, um, except the Dean. And then that is the episode. Is there anything else plot-wise I need to get out there, Sam? Oh, that's basically it. All right, why don't we talk about what you guys liked about the episode first, since I, I don't want to, like, rain on its parade right off the bat. All right, sure, I'll go first. Or if you want to go first, you can go first, Rach. I was just going to say that I enjoyed the puppets. <laughs> I Very enjoyed good, the puppets. <laughs> I enjoyed the puppets. Um, I, I clearly contain multitudes with my love of serial killer television shows and puppets. 
Often um, overlapping. Often overlapping. Yeah, I really can't wait for the, like... uh, the serial killer puppet show. Um, <laughs> that one is going to be like blow a handle right out of the water. <laughs> uh, no, I I just thought it was a maybe it's because there was a, a there was less Chang. <laughs> I hate that whole thing this season. Oh, the Changnesia. Oh, yeah. Changnesia is awful. Yeah. Um. At least on this, we can all agree. Although there was a Chang moment I really liked last night. Which was? When the Chang puppet had a puppet. <sighs> yes, that joke would have worked for you, Chris. It worked well. <laughs> um, puppets on puppets. So Rachel likes puppets. Like puppets, hate Chang. Therefore, this episode was a success for me. Fair enough. Uh, Sam? All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go a little bit more in depth than then puppets and Chang. Um, I, I think, you know, the, my problem with Community this season, generally as a whole, is that it's kind of evoking, um, you know, past seasons of the show without really being that. And I feel that kind of is still true for this. And this is kind of a a story that that feels like, uh, you know, oh, this is something that they would do in past seasons. How come we haven't done it? Let's do it. And, you know, maybe it, it, it's still missing that something, maybe just because I know Dan Harmon isn't behind us. Um, but I actually, I felt like, I, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the musical aspect of it. I still think it's something they do well. I also liked, ultimately what I liked was that it was character-based and it was about the group again and about kind of unity within the group. Um, you know, the, the cameos I didn't really need, but I also kind of liked that they they reminded me of kind of the random celebrity cameos you'll get in Muppet movies. And you'll have a Jason Alexander wander out of the woods or a singer who won't be famous in 10 years play the uh, hot air balloon uh, owner. Um, Is she famous now? I feel like she was famous two or three years ago. I mean, I guess she's kind of famous now. I mean, it took I think me like she, it took me a second to remember who she was. She, uh, I, I mean, not in our circles, but I think in some circles she is famous. In the community fan circles, absolutely. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a Sarah Barrios fan, so I obviously wouldn't be like, "Oh my God, it's her! What luck!" But I mean, I, <laughs> she must have fans. Um, <laughs> she, she must have fans. Well, I mean, the people in community were like. They must know who she is because they cast her unless they quit. Like they're like, yeah, we cast this actress who can sing. Oh, she's she's her. That would be really. That <laughs> That'd would be, be really funny actually if they if they like did an open casting call and Sarah Bareilles just ended up getting the role and they were like, oh. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I'm 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 really I'm grading this on a scale for how good it is for this season, and I think it was one of the better episodes of this season. I don't know how I rank it against the previous seasons of the show. Um, but I mean, I, I found it pretty, I think I, I found it pretty funny and I, I liked the songs I liked and I liked the interactions between the characters, even though it was pretty predictable about how they would, you know, tell all their secrets. But it, I feel like it was, it was about the group. And I, I always like it when it's about the strength of the group, which is very often on the show. But then again, I also often really like the show. Um, you're right. It was like a full ensemble episode rather than like a break off episode, right? Like last week there was like the Brita break offs. 
it was much more yeah. about everybody all together. And I think that those tend to be the more successful episodes. Yeah. And I think, you know, use, doing it with the puppets, it worked well. It didn't feel, it felt less forced maybe because I don't know with puppets, I expect different things. I expect the ensemble thing kind of reminding me of like when the Muppets go on an adventure, they go together and it's about a group and it's about building the group up. It was um, fun. There so was like a, there was a kind of traveling by map element. In well, the, it's like in the, the it's like the road movie trope for for Muppets, which <laughs> exists. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it worked well. I thought it was pretty funny, um, and that's all I could really ask for the show at this point. And the songs I thought were pretty pretty good. All right, Jordan, Chris. What didn't you like, or Chris? Yeah, I want to hear what Chris because Chris, you liked the episode as well, right? Yeah, uh, I was shitting on it for after we've said some nice things about it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I really have kind of had my expectations about community lowered this past season. Uh, I kind of have had to accept the fact that it's just it is just not the show it used to be, and it probably won't ever be again. But maybe at times that can be okay. Uh, I really enjoyed last week's episode, and I like this one too a lot for. Uh, I, I think, like Sam, the character interactions, I thought that there were a lot of um, funny one-liners between the group, just the the good-natured sniping in the beginning. Um, I like that the Dean definitely just has these puppets made, because of course he would. Why? Uh, that's not even up for debate. Of course he has puppets, probably every Greendale student, but definitely the study group. Um, so a lot of the smaller jokes worked for me. Uh, we got outside of Greendale, which is something that I don't think that the show does often enough. It does often enough. And I always enjoy, uh, I like that when they acknowledge that there is a larger world outside of Greendale and that these people are friends that have a relationship that transcends this place that brought them all together. Um, and I, I, I did think the puppets, there were elements of the puppets that were really gimmicky. Um, and I, I, I think that they tried to, that there were elements of it that did feel forced to me in that, um, the secrets that came out, the, that created the negative tension in the group, just some, some of it just seemed a little bit too, it, it none of them, none of the secrets really felt like they were, um, they were all surprising to me in a sense that I, I didn't really expect it from those characters in the sense that like they were all just something that felt a little bit like someone not Dan Harmon coming up with a secret for these characters, um, which I think is what a lot of the show feels like right now. Um, like Shirley's was a little bit too extreme for me. Like there were elements of it that like I could definitely see being in line with Shirley's character and then something and then Troy's was just really comedy comic relief as opposed to like I, I think that um, he has been playing a little bit more too cartoony ever since the transition to the new writing team. And his secret was in line with that kind of element of like, he's not even really a character anymore. He's just a walking cartoon character. He's like a walking Muppet all the time. Um, so I thought there were a lot of missed opportunities in the secrets. Um, but for the most part, I did like that element of they're out in the woods, they're having an adventure and it's all kind of campy and weird because they're Muppets and it wasn't as motivated as I think a Harmon episode of it would have been, but I still think it was enjoyable. I still think that there was a fun dynamic to it. 
All right. Um, so I'll start by saying this. Um, going into season four of the show, I, I we talked about the premiere when it happens, and I, I wanted to be very optimistic about the chances of the new showrunners doing something interesting, doing something different, and making the show their own. Um, so, like, I don't, I don't dislike season four of Community because it's not Dan Harmon. Though, like, obviously that upsets me, and I do, I do wish that he was still around. I, I don't dislike it because I think the showrunners are incapable of running a good television show, because that's clearly not the case. I dis, I dislike it so much because I feel like they aren't trying to make their own show. They're trying to make Dan Harmon's show, and the more they try to do that, the worse it comes off. Because it's very clear to me that these guys either did not understand what Dan Harmon did so well with Community, or don't know how to pull that off themselves. And so when you have a high concept episode like they did this week with turning everyone into puppets, the thing that made the high concept episodes work for me at least during the Dan Harmon era was that each of them was really tied thematically and character-wise to the story that we'd been that we were told week in and week out about these characters coming together, forming a bigger group and trying to move on with their lives. Um, you have episodes like Modern Warfare, which is yes, like a giant uh, action movie parody but is also a story about like Jeff and Britta and their sexual chemistry and the problems that's been causing the group. You have like show episodes like Contemporary American Poultry or Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas, which are like on the one hand a Goodfellas parody and on the other a Rankin Bass parody, but are both really stories about how Abed has trouble connecting with people and the ways he tries to get over that. Um, so a lot of these high concept episodes that people remember are so good for me because yes, they're parodies, but they're also about something from a character perspective and from a thematic perspective. And I just don't think that Intro to Felt Surrogacy was. I mean, you can say that it's about the group and how the group is good for each other, but that's what every episode of a community is really about. And I don't think that Intro to Felt Surrogacy did anything with that thematically beyond just saying that as the fact, as as the case. Um, like, really, if you think about it, the, the point of the episode is, like, these people like each other, and they trust each other, and they are a group. And, like, the theme of the episode is, these people trust each other, and they are a group. And, like, all the episode has to offer is the basic premise of the show from a thematic perspective. And all that has to offer, if you get past that, is, like, that they're smart enough to know some basic tropes of puppet television uh, which is, you know, like, the puppets look like Muppets, and there are cameos, and they're singing songs. So all of, the, all of it felt very hollow to me because it never connected emotionally, and I just, I'm not, I'm still not convinced that the showrunners here know how to connect with these characters and with me emotionally. Well, I think I, the problem you're having is you're you're comparing it to Dan Harmon's show, and it just is because it's, it's asking me to. I'd like to not compare it to Dan Harmon's show, but when it makes an episode of the show that is very clearly like this is what Community is, this is what Dan Harmon did with the show, we're gonna try to be as close to that as possible. Like if Community had had gotten rid of the high concept episodes, if it had gotten rid of any Harmon-based element and just done its own thing, I would judge it completely on its own merits. If it was still Dan Harmon, I would judge it as if it was still Dan Harmon. The problem I'm having is you can't have the show be uh, run by different people and try so hard to be Dan Harmon and fail so completely to be that and ask me to not judge it like Dan Harmon's show. Because it's trying so hard to be that show and to mimic that show that I have to I have to approach it on the same terms. Um, I, I think that it might be uh, a bit unfair to say one of your criticism was a bit unfair in the sense that um, – there were a lot of Harmon episodes that ultimately came down to the group loves each other and they're going to stick together and they're going to be okay because they're friends. 
And I think that was a criticism that we all had of the show, like when it was under the Harmon control in uh, its golden era, was that it kept coming back to this beat again and again and again that it had hammered into us so much that there was never a doubt that the group was actually ever going to break up. And it was always kind of superficial tension when they brought that up. But for this episode, um, I, I do think that it, it does boil down to that ultimately. But like, I, I kind of like the idea of, I mean, I, I think that the, there is a more that the episode is about something in a sense of like once you know a group of people for a long enough amount of time, there are going to be moments where like due to probably not due to like psychotropic berries, but just like probably most commonly like alcohol or just like, you know, a night where for whatever reason you're like in different circumstances and you end up sharing a little bit more than you want to. And that can be scary. Like when you get to a point where like, you know, people like really, really well, but maybe you kind of make a little bit of a leap and put yourself out there a little bit more than you, you maybe should, or maybe want to. And the dynamic can change after that. And that's a scary moment. So that I, I definitely think that there was actually something of substance of this episode and what it was about with the group dynamics and a relatable experience for, I think a lot of people, but my bigger issue with it was like, um, it was, it was done in a way that was a little bit cheesy for me. And that like the things that they put out there, a lot of them felt like the, the secrets were just like thrown out there for like laughs or didn't really jive with some of the characters. I, yeah, I think Several things about that. First of all, I by no means think the community was a perfect show during the Harmon era. Um, and I agree, like, there are episodes where he did something high concept that didn't work for me thematically. Uh, the one I always go to first is Basic Rocket Science, the Apollo 11 episode, which is supposed to be a, a story about, like, Annie's loyalty to Greendale being tested. But that just, like, never really works for me thematically, and you never really think Annie's going to leave Greendale. And so, like, the episode is funny. Um, and also, like, I'll say, I think that Basic Rocket Science is a way funnier episode of television than Intro to Felt Surrogacy, but that's a different question entirely. Um, well, I mean, Jordan, that's – if we're going to go like, well, this episode wasn't as funny as this episode from season two. That's not what I'm saying. Um, my point is, first of all, I don't think that the Harmon era was perfect, but I do think it handled the idea of the group – uh, like what the group meant to each other and the group coming together and how that improved each character. Even though it did it a lot, I think it always handled it better than the, than it was handled last night. I think this is one of the worst what the group means to each other episodes community has ever done. Um, and be, I think that's true, Chris, because of the problem you have. And this is why I think that, that what Internet Felt Surrogacy does is hollow, is like everything that we learned about the characters last night completely does not work as part of the character. Like... Or, or when it does work as part of the character, it needs to be a way bigger deal. Like, the idea that Annie is sexually involved with uh, the Malcolm McDowell character, in any sense, is like, that's like a story beat that they're just going to not deal with at all after this, I assume. That's weird. Like, that's a thing that, that shouldn't have been tossed off in a way like that. Yeah, I, um, I definitely agree. With, like, I, I didn't like... I didn't like what the actual reveals were like. I liked the actual concept of like the group gets a little bit loopy and maybe says some things that they immediately wish they could take but back. But also after as much time as we've spent with these characters, I feel like that story doesn't jibe with me either. Like the idea that, that they've shared a little bit too much and now they feel weird about each other. Like think of all the things they've shared around each other and all the weird things they've done over the entire life of the show. And that's another problem I've had with season four is that often it feels like it's resetting the character dynamics back to season one and just like the very basic premise uh, dynamics between these characters as opposed to dealing with them as if they've been friends for four years now. 
I, I completely I completely disagree with that. Like I, I have I, I've had moments like that with friends that like, you know, like sometimes you just wish you say something and you wish you could kind of take it back because it's like people have known longer than four years. It's like I, I think that everybody has secrets. Everybody has um, feelings and thoughts that like are kind of just super, super internalized. And sometimes when you're friends with somebody long enough, every now and then there's a moment where you let your guard down and then you kind of maybe not necessarily because it'll actually change the dynamic but it's just it change it 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 feels like something's changed it feels like things have to be different because you you kind of let see something, I, I sort of like your every, walls down i sort of like everything that you're saying about that episode i don't i didn't see any of this in the episode so i like i like what you're saying in theory but i also feel like that was mixology certification like the show's already done that episode about like the gang going out and getting a little drunk and sharing a little bit more than they thought and learning a little bit more about each other than they expected and like how they reacted to it. And I'm not like, again, Sam, I'm not comparing this to mixology certification and saying like they need to be judged on the same metric, but I am saying like, if we've already heard this story and if we've already heard it done well, why are we here again? And I don't think the episode has a reason for it. Well, I, I mean, I also don't think it it, it came down to me was I thought it was funny. I laughed. And at this point from community, that's all I'm really looking for because honestly, all the things that made, community uh, superior show and another level sitcom for me were things that left when Dan Harmon left. Like, I, I know, like I'm not going to get that now. I'm I, not going to get, I'm not going to get a superior character episode, but if it makes me laugh, which the show hasn't really done much of this season. Yeah. And I I'm mean, maybe part of it is that this episode didn't really make me laugh either. Um, and that, that's, I mean, obviously that's always part of how we react to a sitcom episode. Like, was it funny? And Parts of this were funny. I think I actually think they did a lot of fairly decent callbacks. The the magnitude joke made me laugh. The Vicky joke made me laugh. Um, Garrett made me laugh. The I dreamed it would end this way made me laugh. So like a lot of the Garrett always makes me laugh. Like little character beats worked for me, but I didn't laugh a whole lot throughout the episode um, as a whole. And also like I think it's it bears talking about that there's no reason they are puppets except that the show wanted to do a puppet episode, which I don't think was true of even the the lesser. Uh, high concept episodes during the Harmon era. Like the, the puppet therapy thing doesn't work as, as uh, a justification to me in the way that I feel like the Abba's uncontrollable Christmas therapy thing actually kind of made sense. Like enough for me to, for, to buy it. The puppet therapy thing felt like the only way they could figure out how to make everyone a puppet for an episode. And it was the exact same way they already made everyone Rankin Bass in Abba's uncontrollable Christmas. But I could let that slide if I was, if I even sort of believed it. Am I alone I on mean, that? Or, or I mean, the show, like, I don't really have a problem with the show, like, making these jumps. Because yeah. really, when it comes down to it, none of them really make sense. Really. I mean, they. I think they've all, for the most part, made enough sense for me. I mean, this made enough sense for me in just that, like, oh, okay, we're going to just do this now. With We're going to do this with puppets because Dean has this stupid idea. And it was stupid and Deany. And, I mean, maybe I'm just trying to put more onto this episode than was actually there but like i'll come back again to like you know i i see the motivations of the puppets and being that like this is them being able to kind of put the walls back up a little bit just to have that little bit of a distance and removal again which i i i like the episode i i uh, more so than like trying to find depth where maybe there isn't depth to it like i i also thought it was funny it made me laugh a lot like a lot more than most episodes of community did this season and i think um, at the end of the day that's worth a lot so, yeah, I, I'll i put this one in the win column for them. All right. Well, I Wait, think... Wait, did Rachel watch the episode? 
I did. You guys were just doing such a great job. I figured I'd let you keep going. No, I mean, I, I think that I have to agree with Sam and that like, it's an episode that made me laugh and was enjoyable as an episode. And unfortunately that is where, like, that's where community has gone. And there have been a number of episodes recently that haven't made me laugh and that I haven't found enjoyable. And this was a little bit of a bright spot now in terms of what the show could do or has done. I don't know if this is like one of those episodes that I'll always remember as my favorite, but it's an episode that I enjoyed. And Jordan, if I remember correctly, you didn't like the docu the the, the pillow fight episodes either, right? No, I I liked them. I didn't love the uh, the Ken Burns jokes as much as a lot of people did, but I thought I thought the uh, the pillow war episodes were actually really good. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the meta gag of the Ken Burns documentary was fine. It didn't, like, blow me away, but it was fine. But the, the Troy and Abed story that, that was going on in that episode and was actually really sort of an arc in the back half of season three was one of the things that worked uh, uh, for me about the back half of season three when a lot of things did not. Yeah, sometimes I just appreciate community for the games that it plays. Um, that kind of Ken Burns series, like, set of episodes and then, you know, the puppets. Um, it's not like why I loved the show at the beginning or in the, in, during the best times. And um, I kind of wish for that every so often now, but it's so good sometimes. And I think this episode is one of them um, just at being fun. Also, I like puppets. Did I mention I like puppets? Yeah, here's the thing is, like, I'm a huge Muppet guy, and it hurt me how much I didn't like this episode because I wanted to love the, uh, the community <laughs> Muppet episode. Which, it, I mean, really, like, it's 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 a puppet episode, but really it's a Muppet episode. It's like, not really. I mean... I mean, like, they are, really they're all basically episode. Muppets. Um, like, the way they are operated, from as far as I could tell, they were Muppets. Um, they look like Muppets. A lot of the tropes they're dealing with are Muppet tropes. Yeah. So, like, maybe it's not conscious of it, but it is kind of a Muppet episode. Yeah. And I am, like... Probably the biggest Muppet fan you can find. Like maybe Sam, maybe you rival me, but like I'm a I'm a huge Muppet guy. So to not like this episode was another leap for me in that respect. But yeah, so I mean, most of us liked the episode. I didn't. Um, but I haven't hated everything this season of Community has done. I think uh, last week's episode, the Brit trying to throw the dance and Abed having two dates at the same time, like I thought that was a pretty solid episode, uh, or at least solid by new Community standards. Uh, yeah. For now, um, I don't know, maybe uh, we were planning on, we talked about it at the premiere, we were planning on talking about it again at, at the finale. Maybe we'll do that, though now that we've talked about it now, we'll see. We can probably talk about it again when it's done. I mean, it'll be, it'll, it should, we should wrap up yeah. the Harmonless season. All right, we will talk about Community again when it is wrapped up. Um, for now, it's about time to wrap up the show. Uh, we didn't really do News Roundup, which makes the Rachel Tartar Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week harder to hand out, but you can still give it out. We do have we do have Rachel Tardif herself here, um, so I'm gonna do something different <laughs> from beyond the grave <laughs> to match <laughs> to match the uh, slow news week. I'm gonna do something slightly different and have Rachel. You can go ahead and pick and announce our Rachel Tardif Memorial Award winner for Best Performance in the Week. Oh, that's mean. I haven't had any time to think about it. Yeah, well, oh, I thought you were. I thought you were gonna give. Well, the I'm not gonna give the award to Rachel. She's done it. Deserve credit. Award myself. No, I'd say if we're going to do the Rachel Tardif Memorial Award 
the same way that we would if there was a news roundup, but just with slow news week. I'd say the winner this week is Veronica Mars, which is making a nice little resurgence yes. that's making around. Come back on her own show. So, um, yeah, I think also I, the, the Kickstarter ended. The Kickstarter, yeah. ended. the Kickstarter ended. It raised what over five million dollars, right? Yeah, which is intense. Um, is funny. So good job, Veronica Mars, um, and we'll come back to you. Yes, uh, we will be talking about that. Congratulations, Veronica Mars. You are not a real person, but uh, Rob Thomas, I guess, you can come down, uh, collect your trophy and small cash prize. Um, for now, we will be back with a happy hour podcast next week. So we'll talk to you then, and have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.